Hello and welcome to So Bad It's Good, the podcast that always comes with trivia. Did you know, for example, Psycho contains the first film scene of a flushing toilet? It took Janet Lee 36 shits to get that final take. So hello, 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 and welcome to So Bad It's Good, or should I say So Bad It's Good 5, the next last generation. Yeah, it's the ten of sequels this week, uh, so a bit of a change from... Uh, some of our more high-octane, explosive episodes. Um, once more, thanks for following us. We we hope that, well, one, that you a few notches on your watch list, but also that you quite like, I guess, broader, exploratory theme. I'm Ashley. It's my turn to play host this week. But as always, at my side is best friend and fellow Cine Heckler, Max. Hello. Watched anything good? Um, no, I haven't really. I've um, I started to finish watching. Oh, I finished watching Beastmaster, which is great. Uh, a lot of like it's like um, something like Total Wipeout meets uh, you know uh, Ninja Warrior. So that was fun. Um, I've got like a, a list of now. I've yeah. started collecting like a, a bunch of random DVDs coming coming mm. to me. So I just had like per your recommendation bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, which I'm looking forward to the watch. Um, I started re-watching, because I haven't seen it in years, and it made me so happy, and I realised that it's such a good movie. Even, I loved it when it first came out, but I absolutely love it even more now. Vamp, uh, with Grace Jones. Oh, you, yeah, you, you, introduced, well, you and you more introduced yeah. me to that. That was well, epic. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, but then... I think it was after our horror episode when we were talking about, we briefly mentioned Grace Jones, which I don't think made it into the episode, but like we briefly mentioned Grace Jones being a, <laughs> a sub character um, and there'd be a whole scene where Britney Spears sings Slave to the Rhythm. And uh, she, yeah, it was like yeah, really good. She was an events promoter Event, or events, events organiser in, in our... Yeah, Gut Club yeah. 6. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I, watched, I re-watched that and I really enjoyed that. And I think like it's interesting because you start to see like as you get older you start to make connections that you wouldn't have known when you were younger and mm. like knowing all about like the new york club kid scene and the way that she dresses okay. in that movie and stuff like that it's very interesting to see that they're really yeah, playing on that style i didn't realize this till a lot later because i think it was it was either last summer or the one no it was the summer before take liverpool did a, a keith harring mm. exhibition you know the guy who sort of did big thick uh, like graffiti lines mm stuff like that he muraled practically everywhere he went uh some of some of it's good so some of it's just public stuff but um it the grace you know the body paint that she wears mm. in that all i could think about i remember walking around the exhibition thinking uh daydreaming obviously of grace jones um <laughs> that she the, the body paint was exactly how he drew and it was almost exactly his like configurations and stuff wow. like that. And I know that she was, well, she, she, I guess she cropped up on the scene, 70s, 80s. And he was big, very much on like the New York mm. uh, club scene, like the Studio 51 sort of scene. And I'm, I, I don't know whether he, he did the body paint for that. Wouldn't surprise me. I'd be interested to read some of the background of that film because I think it, it's such an underrated movie, I feel. I don't think it's it's well recognised or known within. It's not even parodied or anything. I think from dusk till dawn took basically the plot, um, and mm. I think I think they've forgotten the original source material. But no, I I like that. Um, I would say if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. It's a really good documentary. It's on um, it's on YouTube. It's uh, called Paris is Burning. I think I've mentioned this to you before. 
Um, oh yeah, yeah, okay. So you can watch it all on YouTube, and it's just really interesting. Um, it's about like the eighties, eighties drag culture, but it's also about like race, and especially in the time that we're in at the moment, like the whole racism element is really interesting to see. Mm. And um, yeah, so give it a watch it's on YouTube. About like an hour and a half long. It's just really interesting. I think if you start, what you realise and what's really educational about it is how like popular culture, but not just popular culture, but like dominant culture, if you will. Um, and yeah. taken from these these oppressed subgroups, whether it's like the African American community, it's the gay community, the drag community, like they're taking these terms, these words, these phrases. I mean, the whole concept of voguing, which Madonna made famous, is actually from mm. the, the drag scene. So this is episode five, or V, in Roman numerals, uh, the fifth in the franchise. And on we go with our quest to dig out some of the shittest of all the sequels for your pleasure. Uh, probably, I'm guessing, the first thing that comes to mind is horror franchise of crops up in my mind. Uh, and I think this is a legitimate product placement to mention our horror episode. And yes, this, this yes. Across as a check that out. But check we did out. actually discuss uh, probably the, the most fatuous of all sequels. Really. Mm -hmm. uh, if by sequel you mean copy the first one so <laughs> and add a little uh, post-credit sequence at the end <laughs> yeah so by all means go ahead and listen to that so they might crop up to mind uh horror franchises tend to go on to 13 14 without even blushing and yes the odd exception allowed the law of diminishing uh, diminishing returns definitely applies to sequels but there's also a wider field than that don't forget that there's bona fide, uh, almost criterion collection classics that some get-rich-quick asshole studio hack decides to pounce on and release a mistaken follow-up. Uh, there's also that variety of sequels as well. One of which we've selected today, mm -hmm. I think, from a classic from the old vaults of our hungover movie mornings, hungover Sundays. Um, here's one for you, Max. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the first ever sequel was? Oh, that's a good one. Because um, I got it wrong when I researched it. So. Love's Labour's Found. Oh, <laughs> very good. I wasn't, that's very good. Um, <laughs> no, that was, uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting such an erudite answer, actually. I was <laughs> expecting. Because uh, I, I thought, I'm sure this has come up in a quiz that I've done before, but anyway, it's, it's one of these online facts. I thought it was King Kong. I, uh, it, Kong Lives. I'm pretty sure there was a really? King Kong yeah. single, uh, a sequel about two years after because it was a massive hit. Mm. Uh, it's actually controversially The Fall of a Nation, 1916. Oh, is that the um, the Birth of Nation? The, the Fall Birth of a Nation. Oh, Christ. That well-known racist yeah. epic. Yeah. It, it, it was another, apparently in this one, it's about a German prophetically maybe, German-based European army trying to invade America. Wow. But it was, uh, it's lost by the way, they've lost it, but it, it was, it was literally just a cynical cash-in because the original, apparently, I've never seen it, apparently it's got big, big merits in, in terms of how it's filmed, but uh, someone thought it, it went down a storm and someone's uh, cashed in on it. So, um, and being fair-minded and being uh, pleasant and equal, Sequels and remakes, for that matter, prequels and so on, can be much better than the original. Probably, mm -hmm. most famously, uh, Godfather, maybe Godfather Aliens is, is often threat. Yeah, Godfather Part Two, 
Aliens has often thrown out some of the Star Wars ones. Empire, Empire Strikes Back is usually considered better than definitely, the, definitely. Than the first one. I don't get that because I love, I love. I think the second one is a bit. I think there's some great sequences in it, but I think the first Star Wars is still like the original first one. The new, new hope. Yeah, I, I'd go along with that. Um, but as anyone who's sort of tagging along with us here, that's not really our bag. We're box office flop hounds, and we've got an absolute belter coming up later on. Well, first, let's cobble together some uh, lonely B-sides and rush into reduction with Casting Couch. Casting Couch. You, okay, so you might have that this we do our little challenge, Casting Couch. What will happen is, as per Max will pluck out a movie, random movie title, a fake one that we've tossed between us in the few days before recording. Um, but ever so slightly different this week because we wanted to, to follow our sequel theme thoroughly yeah. and properly so this week we've yeah we've, we've played it slightly different haven't we we've got made up titles made, made up sequel titles of actual famous movies yeah. i think like any good sequel we take the formula that worked so well previously and <laughs> and like make it rubbish so that's what we're doing here um in this case i've <laughs> we've taken we've taken movie titles most of which are like movies that we've spoken about or movies that are kind of critically panned and we've like made up movie title movie sequels that have never existed um and we popped them into my uh, pencil pots of uh, of decision making oh the pencil yeah um yeah, so yeah. without further ado i'm going to uh the big reveal big reveal okay get ready my hands in it my hands in <laughs> I have ones I'm, I'm hoping it is. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> this is great. What is it? What is it? Silent Night, Deadly Night Three: Billy's Revenge. <laughs> That's how appropriate as well. Billy how McFarlane's Revenge. <laughs> Billy McFarlane's Revenge. Um, yes. So Silent Night, Deadly Night Three: Billy's Revenge. Um, I guess I'm mm. start thinking on how we can turn that into a, a brilliant. Epic. Well, there is the easy way, which is just to play the first, the first and the second one. That 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 will easily yeah, become yeah, half yeah. the movie. Triple the credit space. <laughs> so, sequels, spin-offs, uh, remakes, prequels, trilogies. Where should we start? Well. Uh, like I say, uh, like I mentioned before, there's a special gem we've got under focus later on. And I think whether whether you're a mother or whether you are a brother, I think you're going to quite like it. But first, we begin with our drinking game. So, Max, what are you going to recommend this week for us? Well, I think this is something that is perhaps probably one of the few things when we were, we were planning these episodes. It was one where we might not have agreed fully, where I think you were very much like it's very difficult to put the same characteristics on sequels which stretch across like you know genres and periods of history some good some bad um but i think there's a lot of stuff that do that does pop up um and for me you're gonna have a nice uh, brandy by a fire and i'd say that for this it's um unnecessary subtitles with it. okay oh okay so um as ash might know and our listeners probably don't unless they're all our friends who probably are the main listeners probably are <laughs> our market yeah um but one of my things i love like looking at and finding out they're like sequ sequel subtitles 
um and like i have like a list on my phone of of like then grows every time i hear one that i find quite entertaining or hilarious but usually some of them can be quite good like star wars episode two the, you know the um the empire strikes back or episode five if you follow the new thing but most of them will have some unnecessary quite quite stupidly sounding subtitle like i think the one that springs to mind even though it's a, it's a decent enough movie i guess but die hard to die harder is, yeah that's like, it's so silly so stupid you've got too fast too fur- furious that's uh that's, yeah just just double it up just, just double up um Fast and Furious 3, Tokyo Drift. Mm, slightly different tangent there. Yeah, they've got, um, you've got like Break Into, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What is that, by the way? Because it's been quoted at me before and I don't know this movie. <laughs> I think it's like an 80s dance movie from what I remember. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you've got that. Um, so yeah, like most sequels will have, whether they're good or bad, they will have some form of subtitle that will uh, hint at what the movie is doing. Yeah, completely uh, agree. What one thing? Well, do you know what? I'm going I'm to ask you straight off the bat. Have you got a favourite sequel title? A favourite sequel, you know, sort of trashy sequel title. Trashy sequel title. I do. I think Die Hard Two, Die Hard does just just a story. Die Hard, yeah. I love that. The grammar of that, yeah. Yeah, but I do also think something like um, big fan of Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit. That's <laughs> that's a brilliant one. I'd say yeah. That's uh, like Miss that. Congeniality oh. Two, Red, White, and Blonde. That's uh, mm. oh no, that's mm. legally, legally Blonde Two, Red, White, and Blonde, and then Miss Congeniality Two is something like Armed and Fabulous or something. I think those are the ones that immediately spring to mind. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, when you get, especially when you get to like third, third one onwards, they usually feel like even the John Wick movies, which are, are decent movies. Like the third John mm. Wick could have been just called John Wick Three, but they had to call it John Wick Three Parabellum. Okay, and it's just like Latin word. There's there's no real reason to that, and the other ones don't have subtitles, so it just feels strange to have this extra Parabellum. subtitle included in it that has this. But, you know, I, I think that's what's strange about it. Even with good movies, you'll still have these strange subtitles. We've got one. I was looking a bit online at this. There was a film, some some of which I've seen the original, some I haven't. One is Badass 2, Badasses. So just, again, double up. Um, double up? There was up. Gingerbread Man 2, The Passion of the Crust. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> And then this was an interesting one because it was sort of playing with numbers here. Is that there was oh, apparently there is there was a Piranha 3D, obviously. Yeah, there was a Piranha 3D. Because one of the rules, I guess, of sequels that if it's the third one will be in 3D. Or that now now they do 4D, don't they? Which makes no like, uh, literally so no sense whatsoever. You can yeah, number four is 4D. If it's got an X in it, it'll be like XX or XXL. Or the XXL, dress yes, yes, <laughs> the dress sizes. Um, but this one, Piranha 3D, rather than going to, rather than going to Piranha 4 or 4D, they went Piranha 3. Double D. D. <laughs> yeah, and they just had a pair of uh, knockers sort of bobbing in the water on, on um, the DVD cover. Actually, one that I feel needs needs a mention. Um, Go on. Speed 2, Cruise Control. <laughs> yeah, quite like that, actually. Not uh, starring Tom Cruise either, though. Um, okay, 
So I'm going to go for, let's, let's just go for a basic drink. Let's get uh, another, let's, let's be on our second point with this. Children of the people in the original. Ooh, that's true. Uh, so they'll come back, usually inheriting maybe certain traits from the persons, sometimes literally. So the fly to, and we were briefly talking about, well, very briefly talking about Cronenberg, I guess, the other day. In the fly to, the guy has the same disease, well, it's the same biology malfunction as the dad does, which, if you're at that, don't have kids. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I'm anxious about passing hay fever on to my offspring. <laughs> Never mind the fact that, like, your knob falls off. And because there's that famous scene where, you know, Jeff Goldblum's knobs in, in the jar. Yeah. And, um, and obviously, you go, bit by bit, you mutate into this disgusting, uh, horrific creature. But yeah, so so he comes back, don't have kids. Um, but that, that, it, it's not just genetic stuff. Like, genuinely, you get, like, uh, sons of so-and-so, daughters of... Actually, no, not, not often daughters. Not often. Usually no. sons, usually sons. But also, you usually have, they're, if they're not exactly like the, the father or the mother, they mm. are, like, in complete opposite. Or fighting, okay, they yeah. are exactly like them, but they're trying to fight against it. It's like, no, I'm not my mother, I'm not my father. But actually, they are. And that's kind of the arc of the movie, is that by the end, they realise that they are. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm. Like, uh, is it in one of the Indiana Jones films? Is yeah, it the Crystal Skull one? Is it Shia LaBeouf's Harrison Ford's? Yeah, that's, that's revealed, it, yeah. yeah, like three quarters away. Yeah. I'm going to add to this, maybe like, I don't know, drop a, have a have a, a, a shot of whiskey next to our second pint uh, to, okay. to add to that. If it's not the sons or daughters of the main characters from the first movie, it is some secondary character from the first movie expected mm -hmm. to carry the movie on their own. So prime yeah. example of that is the second Jurassic Park movie where it was Jeff Goldblum. Uh, carrying this movie on his own um, that realistically he was the comic relief in the first one there was mm. no way he was going to carry that movie um, and I think a lot of other films do that I mean even Silent Night Deadly Night 2 did that where it wasn't the, it wasn't the main character again it was he was his brother it was the baby in the first <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was there, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> yeah absolutely foolproof that yeah um <laughs> No, it's true. Like I was reading, I tell you, I'll, I'll admit this now. Uh, the other night, I've, I've been bad sleeping lately, and uh, to sort of ease me off, I don't. It's a bit to to try and get me back to sleep. Uh, I ended up watching Showgirls. And uh, right, can, can, I, can I just there. confirm? Can I just confirm that wasn't to get you back to sleep in <laughs> any other way? <laughs> <laughs> that was well, and I, I, I'm. I've to, over time. I've, I mean, they were sidetracking here, but I'm a defender of Showgirls, and I would like to talk a bit about Showgirls when we discuss uh, staying alive. Obviously, okay. Uh, there's, there's a link there, but um, Showgirls. Yeah, I'm I'm a defender. I, I I think cut. If you cut the very you know, gratuitous sort of disgusting rape thing at the end, if you cut the silly ending where she meets the guy in the truck like she did in the first one, uh, if you, if you maybe dialed a few of Elizabeth Berkeley's scenes down a bit. I'd say you've got a by no means good film, but easily just a passable sort of Vegas satire. Nothing wrong with it. But this is, I mean, this is one thing that actually comes into, you actually make a good point here. A lot of these movies that we take the nick out of, 
Mm. When we start taking the mick out of them, we get to a point in our discussion where we're like, this is, this could easily have been solved if they said this or if they did that. And it's like really small tweaks, but that's what, it's like almost a movie that nears being passable and just drops the ball on some small yeah. things and then it becomes this, this okay, special yeah. gem of a so bad it's good movie so i think that's what so girls is mm. like you can't excuse showgirls by kind of saying well if it did this and it did that and it did the other because that you could say mm. the same with the phantom or you could say the same with <laughs> with the room or something like if they just did these few things slightly differently it would be passable it would be forgettable um, yeah but it's an interesting point showgirls did have a sequel as well and it was the girl from yeah 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 it was i think very like independently produced i don't think maybe the old character came back from the first one but it was the girl like you were saying before this really and i'm talking my in most sequels it's usually maybe you know maybe the support and lead or mm. something like that or maybe the, the, the notch below them yeah. this one in showgirls 2 it was the girl who uh, when Nomi is gets a job at Cheetahs, the the strip club, and they're in like the, the backstage bit, and they introduce a new girl. I think remember she, she she's called Hope, and she, she yeah. she's like a, she's like the dumb blonde. So she she says, "Oh, my name's actually Penny," and the weird, really that creepy owl guy says something mm. like, uh, "You know, you'll get called what you want or or whatever." You, it's it's all fantasy names in this place. Uh, it's her story. So I don't know why. I think of all the people. <laughs> I think with um, sequels that gives another point of like take a. I'm gonna say like a uh, Goldschlager and lemonade. For this point, um, a Goldschlager and lemonade for when you give me that. I, I, I did actually. That was that. That was one of my less wise moments. Um, mm. So I take a, take a sip of that. If um, the production company is like not an official production company, it's like <laughs> the tech second author, someone who's just got the rights to it, somehow okay. has like managed to win the rights in like poker um, poker bet and just kind of like manages to kind of win the win win the kind of rights to this movie and goes like, great, mm. I'm going to make a sequel to Showgirls or I'm going to make a sequel to Silent Night, Deadly Night or whatever, um, and it's just like almost like mm. substantially less production value. I'll, yeah, completely agree. I'll, I'll add to that actually on this sort of point of the behind scenes stuff of sequels and say that one of the, take a, in fact, put the Goldschlager to one side, <laughs> please order a tap water. And I'll say directors, uh, less so with actors, but directors who've explicitly requested their name to be removed from it that's true that's true and like anyone yeah anyone previously involved in the first movie is explicitly like stepping yeah, yeah. away from it and Once said it, they it, do not want to be involved yeah sometimes even the directors and sequels themselves maybe they've wanted it to turn out i can't remember what one was reading about but they literally literally wanted their name not only not associated it not mentioned in reviews i guess and press material but just wanted the name like tipexed off the titles so, like just put up one of you know like the names that bart simpson uses when he goes <laughs> place like IP huge ass and things like <laughs> yeah. that just, just put one of them up there just anything that isn't ashley mcguffin or, or whatever now is the time for our special feature mm -hmm. the movie above all else above all the sequels 
all the sequels out there that we'd recommend you go away and find on Prime or wherever else. The original to this is, in its own way, a classic, I think, I mm-hmm. to say. Definitely. Uh, at least, at the very least, it's a timestamp of the late 60s looks and dances. I'm obviously talking about Saturday Night Fever. It was a gritty sort of urban tale of a guy who, Travolta, who finds his only release from a sort of Italian repressed background, working class life, whatever, in hitting the dance floor of a Saturday night and gaining that, however localised, however small it is, he he got that little spark of fame. Mm. Whereas Staying Alive, (laughs) 1983 sequel, follows... Tony's story, but there's there's no there's no sort of clash or there's no there's no real background you know class background stuff. There's there's none of these gritty themes. Essentially, it's just Tony trying to crack his way. I, mean, I feel like who like the the idea of this story was someone who saw Saturday Night Fever and just thought the reason why this movie is great is because of the dancing and let's just do that. Like, you get everything <laughs> yeah, else yeah. about the movie, it's just about the dancing. And and it wouldn't surprise me, considering the person who did a Tommy Wiseau on this, wrote, directed, even starred in a small cameo. Um, I don't know how he got the rights to this movie, but it was Sylvester Stallone. I don't, I don't know where Stallone versus a dance movie, mm-hmm. how those two came about, and how anyone could have thought that that would have worked. Here, what they were originally scheduled to do okay they were originally scheduled to do something like if if my facts are right which which they always are they it was they considered oh if that was it if sorry not not as prior to this but if this had nailed it an absolutely critical commercial bar air success they were going to do godfather part three no no oh no thank god yeah as Stallone and Travolta as rival rival mob leaders caught up in a drug trade war. I can't even imagine that. Oh, we need to make no, that one I of could... our casting couches because I feel like that could be an amazing movie. Oh yeah, the God the Godfather Part Three, but with Stallone and as in, so in the in the world where where staying alive is uh, a huge commercial success. Um, mm. Like yeah, brilliant. So should we kick off with the plot of this movie? Yes, go shoot. Um, so I think we're going to both chip in with this plot, uh, and there's a lot for us to unpack. Um, so yeah, as as Ash said, that you start off this movie, you've got Tony who has kind of moved to New York and he's trying to make his way as a um, as a kind of dance performer. First kind of point in this movie that will probably make you kind of question its its grasp on reality will be how every successful production in New York is a interpretive danced show that seems to go on for three hours we're led to believe how where this world what universe this movie is living in I don't know but you do have um, an opening scene of Tony um, as the credits are coming up Um, and a side note on this that opening song isn't actually by the Bee Gees it is by the um, brother of, of Sylvester Stallone (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's to be fair. It's one of the catchiest 
songs in the film. I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely. Probably the more catch. I think all the BG songs, it's like someone took the greatest hits of the Bee Gees and flipped oh. it to the B side and just played the B side. It's like such... unknown songs. Yeah, I mean, I guess this this is what we want to hit straight from the go is that. The first was, I mean, well, no, the, the Saturday Night Fever was heavily, like, infused with the Bee Gees. Mm. It's not, some people might think of it as just like a sequence of MTV sort of music videos. It's really not, it's, but the Bee Gees are infused in it. This one, they've kept it, but it's it's just the dross. These are clearly the songs that the Bee Gees wrote while waiting at a zebra crossing. <laughs> It's this so it's it, and and not only that but they're so downplayed. I mean, in the original there was the, those great disco scenes, yeah, and the songs were front and center with the dancing. These they're really muted. They're really low. Uh, there's there's one scene where he has like a big long walk in the rain scene she did in, in the first one, where the Bee one of the Bee Gees these like mellow, no mark songs, get played quite high, but more often than not they're just lingering in the background doing absolutely you nothing. To, yeah you have to strain stupid stupid thing you have to strain to listen to them but yeah so you've got tony dancing going for like a dance trial audition thing hmm. um one thing that if you're ever going to play a drinking game with this movie uh, you need to drink every time someone is literally drenched and drenched in sweat and we're not we're not exaggerating <laughs> oh, God. not exaggerating people in this movie are like bathing in their own sweat it is yeah, it's just everyone's just like dr like dripping with sweat. The dance moves in this are very um, like uh, they almost look like boy band dance moves. I think one of my favourites mm. is where it's where they put their hands up against their ears and they do jazz hands against their ears, and that's like oh, yeah, that's a dance yeah, yeah. move. But they really ham up the intensity of like Tony really like throwing himself around and and like doing around and slowly but surely all these people are getting kicked out of this of this dance move so you know it's getting whittled down and um and then eventually uh tony is kicked out and so he leaves the audition mm -hmm. in a half uh, goes to his his job he's got a few part-time jobs in this um and uh one... fatima's dance land fatima's dance land yes um where what it's called yes you know it is fatima's dance land and um he's got like a good like little kind of flirty relationship with the owner who's like letting him go to all these auditions um, and he like teaches people how to dance um he's also got like a relationship with uh, a girl in it i think this is a common theme of a lot of these 80s movies is that the women have the same hair as the men um and the <laughs> yeah. She, yeah whoever uh did the hairstyles? She's got Patrick Swayze's hairdresser. <laughs> she does. She does. Um, can I just say on on this dance class at, at Fatima's dance, he's teaching, and he, you can clearly see his heart's not in it because he's he's given quite pathetic, almost like yoga class type instructions. Is his heart's not in it? But the camera pans to the class, and you can see these these people really giving it large, trying their best. The composition of this fucking class. <laughs> Did you see that there's one girl, there's one sort of like really pretty girl, like this, this dead, thin, clearly aspiring teenage dancer. Next to her is the mum, I'm assuming. Phyllis from The Office. <laughs> yeah, Phyllis, someone who's, I don't know, called in on the weekly shop. I, I, I don't... And then, and then th th there's a guy who I think at one point he shouts... Maybe it's direct, well, at least the camera pans to him. 
he he directs who is this sort of old uh, creepy sort of character he looks like taylor mead i don't know <laughs> if you know that like this sort of 60s warhol tag along that yeah, was yeah. weirdo art house performer he's got like a fishing hat on uh i i think it, it could well be alan actually with with his sort of that fish hat that he wears to disguise himself it's just the weird i don't know because as far as i'm aware uh, on, on the front of Fatima's Dancing, it says they do jazz, ballet, uh, tap, that's it. Um, and I'm assuming dance classes, never been to one, are, are done by age. You know, so you do like young dancers, maybe, maybe the. No, I think, I think you can, I think you can go to a, a mixed aged dance class, oh, but maybe. I think I, 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 it did, it just wasn't, it just wasn't pulled together. It just looked like they just got a bunch of, bunch of the production crew and was just like, yeah, yes, yeah, try and dance. It was so silly. But anyway, so you get a little slice of his life, really, within the opening movie. You see him like go to this dance and teach people to dance. This girl mm. who's got the same hairdresser as Patrick Swayze is obviously <laughs> in love with yeah. him, but he's acting quite like Ooh, big style. Yeah, he's just acting a bit like he's he's not he doesn't care about her or anything like that. Or he seems quite chummy with her, but it's, it's almost like he doesn't want to be mm. in a relationship with her. She's besotted with him. Yeah, absolutely in love with him. So it cuts to his second job where he's like a waiter in a nightclub. And this is something that I like. I'm not exactly the person who goes to that many nightclubs. But like the clubs that I've been to, if there is table service, it's in a very specific <laughs> part of the club. Whereas he decides to walk straight through the heaving dance floor with a tray full of like champagne and stuff. With, and, yeah. and then he looks annoyed that it gets <laughs> yeah, spilled over. And you're just like, like, that's what. Like what? What did you think would happen that you could somehow slide through like the heaving club and not get knocked over? Like, <laughs> what does he? He literally, yeah, he gets annoyed at one point. You see him sort of, you know, classic like waiter thing, you know, tray above his head, uh, worming his way through the dance floor like that's the easiest route. <laughs> you know, if you were there, you were like, uh, uh, yeah, could I? Could I get a Bellini? Uh, but could you put it in one of those fucking Space Mountain extra large Coke things? Because by the time it gets to me, I'll at least want a few sips. <laughs> well, do you know what also annoys me about that is that actually, if you look at the shot, you can actually see that the dance floor is heaving, but there's very yeah, clearly yeah, there like a, a space around. Mm. It's not like the whole place is so heaving that he has to like push through. It's like he could have walked around it anyway. And also another point is this: this club looks like uh, a reject from your university, like mm. quite quite rough, not like really anything fancy. <laughs> yeah. And he's yeah, in yeah, this yeah. classic French waiter outfit with like the waistcoat and the and the the, the collar and everything, which is never explained. Um, he's in this club. He's like getting another round of drinks, evidently, because he's just broken a bunch of glasses, um, but just not doing his job. And um, he is like, this girl comes up to him with the biggest bouffant of her hair oh, yeah, ever. Yeah, very 80s. She, uh, she starts flirting with him and he said, and he says something, and I can't remember exactly what he says, but he kind of like insinuates that she's, she's a bit, she parties too hard, I think he says. And he says like, I think he says something like, I could be completely wrong, I mean, putting words into John Travolta's mouth. But like, I think he says, oh, well, last time I partied with you, I couldn't walk for three he days does, or something he like, that, like yeah, that. Which... Uh, I mean, yeah, I can only assume what's happened there. Watching showgirls at night. <laughs> so you obviously on this, you can only see my head. Um, I actually, I'm paralysed from the waist down. 
the can I also give you the follow-up <laughs> quote to that as well? Because I, I, yeah, okay. I noted this down. I thought he says that, but you know, Christ, that's what he'd been up to. Um also blame an air for not being able to walk. He's doing all of these <laughs> mad splits. Absolute crotch rippers throughout the film. And then he's blaming air for getting a bit frisky for fact anyway. But uh so he says this line, which is weird. And she's playing like this 80s, almost corporate bitch style thing. And she turns to him. And I, to be fair, I thought this was a great line and fully deserved because I think he, he, he treats women mm. in quite suspect ways throughout this movie. But she says, guys like you are in relationships. They're exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Uh, so Tony's relationship with women Slightly, uh, I don't know what checkered, odd maybe. I mean, I guess he's he is he's like this hip young guy who can mm. get any girl he wants, therefore yeah. treats them in the manner in which he can just go out on a Saturday night and pull whoever he wants. So there is that element to it, but there is uh, a certain amount of cruelty as well. Oh God, yeah. And I think one of the weird things about it is that, that whole thing about getting every woman, any woman he wants, like that is true, and that is is heavily implied when you watch it. But it's also like he's bored of it at the same time. That same like, the same as like Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, like, true. He's bored of like the life that he's living with his mates. Naturally, he wants to break free of that and go forward. And it's like mm -hmm. they've taken that, but they've just not gone all the way with it. So he's bored that all these women want him and it's just like meaningless sex. But then actually he plays right into that character of being like an absolute awful scumbag to the women in, in yeah, his yeah. Uh, yeah. Most of all, the love interest. Um, the, the, yeah, the love interest. Oh, I can't even remember her name. <laughs> I can't. She may as well be the the girl from the first film because there was a girl in the first film who was this similar sort of slightly like fuzzy haired little girl who sort of was a real tag along and clearly yeah. absolutely starry eyed in love mm -hmm. with the guy, but he, he can't. Oh, oh no, and it's not that he can't see it, he does see it, he just his eye roves next minute he's yeah. caught by another pretty dancer and so on. But one of the one of the, the most absolute quote that caught and I remember quoting pausing it at the time <laughs> we first watched it when we had our first screen this was an absolute whiplash this quote um later on i think like i say the triangle bubbles throughout the whole film and gradually realizes that this little sort of permed little girl is the one for him and but at one point he says he actually says uh, she stops him i think um or is it the bit where they're having a, a nice little quiet moment? They've just done a bit of dancing together and he just goes, I'm not used to saying nice things to you, that's all. And I think that's probably one of the most quietly disgusting things I've ever heard in a film. It, yeah, it's like, it's, he says it in a way that is like, it's just really difficult to, to be nice to you. <laughs> you can't possibly understand how hard it is for me <laughs> it's so harsh um she just said takes and it anyway well. i mean from memory it does work out in the end oh yeah she takes it yeah she's weird one this because there is a bit of push and pull which I'm, again these are some scenes for later which i'm sure we're gonna tick off but there is a bit of push and pull she's she, she is a bit of a walkover but at the same time she plays her own she's got her own game going because she's also 
flirting with on stage and in real life by the looks of it. I think the guy who is Sylvester Stallone's brother. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone's brother. Who's... Or what's his name? Yeah, Frank Stallone. He's the rhythm guitarist. And he, I don't think he has a line in the entire movie. He just, like, looks angrily at Tony Monero throughout he it. He plays the guitar angry and sort of... I think he, he has a singing part. I think yeah, he, he, he does, does a duet with that girl. Yeah. Um, I guess anyway, I thought, so... I, yeah. I guess I just want to go back to like the thing because we talked about like him and this relationship with the girl he works yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. The woman he ends up having a, a bit of a, a stronger kind of connection with in, in sense of where that tension comes from is appears shortly after you, you, you kind of see him at this nightclub and he goes to see his, his friend like perform like a, a second secondary backup dancer in this in this um, show. As I mentioned that this show is like the in a world where apparently all the um, all the, the best Broadway musicals are just rhythmic rhythm rhythm and dance uh, on stage for like three hours uh, and yeah, no yeah. plot, just 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 rhythm and dance, and um, and attended by the sort of people <laughs> who should really be at the Met Opera. Yes, all everyone is like a real like high class. Oh yeah, black white tie sort of events, which I. I still don't understand that. I don't know whether much thought was put into that as they were making the film. Oh, it's it's Stallone. He's just like, well, well, who goes to theatres? Well, it's definitely like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just like yeah. you only go to a theatre if you wear um, a, a tux. Um, but yeah, so he goes and and he sees like you know his mm, yeah. his like you know one of his love interests and and the main love interest if anything in the story, and then he also sees this other woman who's like the lead dancer absolutely like you know stealing the show apparently although I, I don't know what kind of show this is it's on this kind of like lilac backdrop that's all very minimalist uh, yeah. stage there's ramps there's like there's like a <laughs> big ramp and then a like a really fake uh, like new york skyline, skyline thing with yeah. all the skyscrapers and, stuff. and he's but, he's yeah. just completely enthralled by her he thinks that she's absolutely amazing yeah. um can i just say on this as well so she's asking about on this stage right to the sound of, I'm assuming, like a like a Van Halen sort of rip off that yeah. this really like jazzy '80s guitar solo. That's right. So I'm fine with that. I'll take that. I'll take the Van Halen rip off. What I won't take is at the <laughs> end of the show, she's dancing to all of this. Right. She finishes and they do that like encore type thing. I think she comes out for a bow. The camera hands about to the to the people at the opera and then and then it cuts it sort of zooms in on like a little orchestra pit <laughs> hang on hang on so she's been dancing to van halen <laughs> but there's an orchestra player is he in the orchestra I, I just the new york symphony because... orchestra i think can play van halen actually uh... <laughs> well yeah but I, I just thought it was again it's this sort of like it's all this striving after effect, like yeah. go for the big visuals and the music and the big hair and all of this like 80s stuff. And then the actual, like those realistic details that were all in the first film, like a gritty sort of stuff, that just gets, don't, is there an orchestra there with it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course there's an orchestra. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, theatre, there's always yeah, an orchestra. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah weird, no, weird. I agree, that's that's hilarious. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that like, this is not like, like you said, people are dressed as if they're going to the, 
the opera and it's like this is not like the ballet this is not some real <laughs> traditional form of dance that you can appreciate mm. and it's got like a high class this is very modern dance modern 80s dance that they're watching mm. but they're watching it as if it's this like high well refined well respected art form which you know even it wasn't and it isn't um but yeah so like tony monero kind of mm. like sees this girl falls absolutely in love with her and does this really awkward mm. like come on to her in her dressing room um that kind of that uh <laughs> that one one of my favorite favorite scenes and actually look this is actually a genuinely good scene in the movie um where he's saying to her where he's like hey like you know this is my best um best Tony Monero impersonation here. It's like, hey, look, <laughs> go, go I, I got this, I've got this guy that that you that you'll really love. He's amazing. He's so cool. Okay. Hey, hey T, come over here. Come over here. And he's like in the he's framed by the doors. Mm. He's just shouting to, to the hallway. And then he walks out <laughs> of shot, comes back in and like acts like he's this brand new guy. And <laughs> And that's just oh, awful. That's, that's just awful. And then she just stands up, smiles at him, like, oh, isn't that, wasn't that cute of you to do? And then just closes the door in his face. Um, yeah, absolutely slams it. And he said, he turns like, there's a, there's a little producer or whatever watching this scene <laughs> from afar. And he just turns, he goes, so he's like, poof, must be a draft in there or something <laughs> like, just like a little throwaway. I love Obviously. that. I love that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess the story moves on quite swiftly to him working with this like, and she's got the worst British accent. Mm. Um, she's like Kira Knightley in Pirates of the Caribbean type accent of just yeah, like, it is bad. Um, really stuck up, and apparently for you know, I, I think even from my understanding as well, like West End lead actors are still not paid like reams of money they're paid a decent yeah. and but she somehow has a fur coat on she has like a white limo a limo a yeah, driver, yeah. Um, seems to have everything that she wants so again it's very kind of high very seems to be comes from a wealthy background we i mean know me from showgirls will be on better <laughs> dollar than her but you don't see her going about your obsession with showgirls ash is it just <laughs> yeah, I watched it again the other night. <laughs> the um, <laughs> the uh, it gets better every time. Um, it actually improves with every viewing. Uh, <laughs> the but oh, and she's got this uh, gorgeous, which you do see a bit later, lovely like uh, Manhattan apartment as well. Yeah, absolutely, like top floor apartment, like penthouse yeah. apartment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think even Bruce Wayne had an apartment like that in the Dark Knight movies. No, no can't afford it. No. Um, it's probably because he's spending all his money making giant uh, statues of Greco-Roman athletes uh, fill Gotham City. <laughs> yeah. Um, the snooker players. Yeah, <laughs> snooker players. Um, so, but cutting back to the thing, he kind of says like he he really respects he, he he's almost like because she rejects him as a romantic interest he kind of he kind of comes on to her as like a an acolyte of art of like dancing so she agrees to like put his name in the hat for this audition of this new broadway play um of this of this uh, new dance show hmm. um of which his friend the other love interest is also involved in uh, the one with the mullet um so mm -hmm. like the story goes on and um he kind of goes to this uh audition 
um, and that's when you find out the name of this of the main story of the main um, show production that is that is going to be on Broadway, uh, which is and I want Ashley to say it Satan's Alley. <laughs> Genuinely, what it's called. Uh, apparently, some well in the film the uh, the like this really hairy dance instructor or mm. like the director producer of the show whatever he is yeah. explains at one point that it's this like dante journey through hell and, and whatever it's going to be really visceral and he's he's dressed like a um he's dressed like a 1940s air pilot he's got this like <laughs> yeah. he's got he's got yeah. this like scarf on and this like giant bomber jacket that's zipped right up to the top so um, is she because <laughs> At some point, when when he when Tony's doing his audition on it, it goes down really well. She appears like this classic sort of uh, like romantic comedy cliche of someone will be on stage with some important member, either of their family or a love interest or or a long lost friend or something like that, will appear sort of in the wings or mm. appear through you know on the back back seat, the back row, and watch them while they're there. And so she creeps in like through the gods at the top, as yeah. watching them, and she's dressed. As some sort of RAF pilot as well. She's got like, um, like the leather combo. The leather combo. But she's got this like these like really like baggy a scarf. Yeah, and she's got uh, these really baggy leather trousers on. Like like they yeah, they yeah. look like they look like inner tubes from like the, the noodles that you swim in in the pool, but giant ones. They're like really formless. <laughs> um, yeah. Or she looks like I one of those things that stands, out, that. that stands outside car dealerships that the wind goes through and they're like the, the, the arms. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, just for ease, just for ease to clarify. So the British, so the, and she's got the British accent. So the the really lead dance singer, she's she's called Laura in it. And then mm. the, the, the one who kind of is like a, a backing dancer, who's like the really meek, mild one is called Jackie. And so that's, that forms the triangle. You've got, you know, Tony, Jackie and Laura. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so you've watching him and, uh, you know, Tony is, Tony is dancing, sweating heaps again. He's got his sweatband, which has gone moldy, uh, on, <laughs> like, fusing to his head, um, doing like leaps and everything. And eventually like he goes out. And this is when he goes on his date with uh, with Laura uh, mm -hmm. in, in Central Park. Um, just the weird, that's the first, yeah, yeah, I guess it is. The weirdest first date I've ever seen on camera. <laughs> Firstly, before they get there, they have this really weird, and I'm sure the script writers thought that this was going to be really like top class Hollywood repartee. And it's just shite because they have, uh, they're in like the back of the, bit of the dance hall or whatever and Tony's trying to get her to come out as per and he's like um, she goes but I'll have to cancel my uh, manicurist appointment and he goes oh well I'll have to cancel my meeting with the mayor and she goes so it goes on and on like this and she's like but I'll have to cancel my chiropathy thing and then he goes, he caps it off with change my brain operation. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it's not flirty. It's not, that's not like sort of sly, um, sort of <laughs> desultory, sexy banter. That's just rubbish. And just, yeah, you just know that the scriptwriters thought that that was going to be like cute and witty yeah. and smart and it's just really not and then they go on this big walk they walk through like 
obviously Central Park at one point they walk through this like ashen <laughs> it's sort of like it's like a gazebo it looks like like a, some sort of Hiroshima tree garden <laughs> it's sort of like ashy but like timbers in it, it yeah, like yeah, type thing. But it's completely white and grey. It looks like I, it looks I, I like those. It, it looks like those like covered bridges that you see in Vermont. You know those like the, the one that is in Beetlejuice, where the car falls out the front, the side of Be- uh, in the beginning. It does it, it actually does look like that. Yeah, it's not like old timber bits and things. I, I didn't know what it was. It was. Like, it's so weird. weird, and it's just like, what is the day? And she's loving it as well. <laughs> I think I think like I think the next level down from walking through Central Park is to just take the elevator from the ground floor to the top floor of the Empire State Building and back again. <laughs> and, and, and like, it's such a it's such a meaningless day. It's such a it kind of doesn't have any actual. But anyway, like I think part of it is to show that she mm. knows that she's very wealthy. He tries to stop one of those horse-drawn carriages that's yeah, in Central yeah. Park, and she like. You know, he kind of like literally nearly gets run over by these horses and the guy completely mm. passes him. And then she like just stands on the side and like holds out like a wad of cash and he stops immediately. Oh, um, yeah. And so they get in, they get in the carriage and then they've like, they obviously go back to her apartment and they're in bed together. And uh, she, in an act of, I, I think, extreme, extreme boldness and crop, props to her, is just like, wait her time for you to go <laughs> <laughs> she just like sends him on his way. Um, yeah, she does. Yeah, and she just and she's like yeah, she has no no qualms, which I think is brilliant. And she just and he gets so pissed off at it as well. He hates the fact that she's uh, that she's kicking him out of bed. Oh no, yeah, he doesn't like this because none of the I don't know Brooklyn hood rats or whatever have ever told Tony to see you come midnight. But <laughs> this girl, yeah, she's she's just like get out. <laughs> Moving on with the story, so like, so he starts all to, he starts working on Satan's mm. Alley, yeah. Which actually, did you know, was an um, actual play <laughs> <laughs> starring Laurence, Laurence Olivier, <laughs> <laughs> which was actually Dante's original title. No, it, it was. Um, it's a, actually it's a reference to Uncle Paradise Alley, which was a big. Ah. Um, one of those critical commercial flops failed uh, on every ground possible. But yeah, it's a reference to Paradise Alley. So he's he's kind of Tony Monero is is acting uh, or dancing within this thing. He's not playing a main role. He's like he gets his role, but he's not playing. He's just like a, a, a supporting dancer for this. Um, hmm. And he event and it's kind of escalating this tension between you know Jackie and Laura. And it culminates to this party uh, where he goes, where I think he's saying that he's promised to go to, to see Jackie do her band Ooh. and like sing, sing Which we do band that she is. And he ends up going. A few times, actually. It does occasionally go to the bar of a band with Frank yeah. Stallone. Um, I've, when I was watching this and I was making the odd note and things like that, I this was, was the only time I actually paused the film when I was re watching it. As I was attempting to define what genre Jackie sings, <laughs> because well, for first it's yeah. it's crap. It's it's the worst sort of yeah. soft, so so eighties uh, like drivel. You could you could genuinely get a better tune out of a fucking piano tie. 
I think. But I, I did when she was singing, and there's a few like really long, intense bits where she's singing on stage. Tony locks up either late or at the wrong time that he, he promised. He's always breaking promises, and he rocks up anyway. And she gives this really like performance where she's just concentrating on him and then Frank Stallone gags in on the act as well he's just staring at Tony so there's a lot of paying customers there who are not getting that like the eye contact that they their fair share I, I, I think I think it's the first time that you see her sing like literally the first thing that she does she, she finishes her song and she kind of goes great pops the mic back on doesn't say I'm taking a break <laughs> or anything doesn't say like we're gonna take five we'll see you in a minute she just like runs off stage yeah. and gives Tony a hug it's like I'm not paying for that if I'm in that club I'm gonna be rude <laughs> hang on like you, you know you're working this is like your job at this point like the guy behind that yeah. bar who owns the pub is by no means accepting that He's docking her wages. And so she, she's got a mix dependent on the mood that the film <laughs> itself, the actual film requires. She changes, uh, she changes the yes. song. So at first when her and Tony are still the, the, early in the film, they've got you know, a decent chance of getting together. It's quite upbeat 80s stuff. Later in the film, he pays another visit and he's sort of, she's heartbroken. He's let her down too many times. And it's this really slow, uh, very forgettable, but very painfully slow, 80s ballad. And like I say, this is, this is when I was pausing it, and I was trying to come up with what genre it was. It was pool table dinner jazz, I think, about, because it's sort of like soft, inoffensive, but at the same time quite annoying. And yeah, it's like, you've actually got it there. It's, it's weirdly enough, it's, it's the type of thing that you could almost sing along to it without ever having heard it before because the next line is so like the melody is like dead simple and the the rhyme yeah. scheme and all, all that stuff is so like it's like fire desire mm. you, you could sing the next thing it's like it's like a bad it's like a bad yeah it's like a bad cover of a song that you've actually never heard of <laughs> um but anyway, one thing as well, yeah, point where she's like sitting, belting out this really tragic song later on in the movie when Tony's like screwed her over so many times. And it ties to that bit. I, I think for me, this is like equal level of Tony going, oh, it's just so hard to be nice to you sometimes. <laughs> like it's, it's like her, her version of this back to him. Um, which I find hilarious is that she says, you know, like this is a point of her going, look, I've had enough, Tony. I'm, I'm done with you. You've, you've, you've kind of hurt me too many times. She doesn't say that. Her response to him is, you know, Tony, one of these days, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to accept this anymore. <laughs> oh no! It's just the weakest, so weak. the oh, weakest, so weak. lamest answer <laughs> out of her. Um, oh, I forgot that. But anyway, kind of going back to the story, Tony is mm. uh, invited round to Laura's apartment for this big fancy yeah. dinner. And he's living in a, a dump at the moment. Like he's like scrubbing his scrubbing his tighty whities in the shower and stuff like that. Oh like, yeah, he does. He's got um, hangers in the shower. Yeah, I forgot he's it. like yeah. really not a nice place. And he's like doesn't got a phone. Like he has to like he basically like when he's waiting for the call for his audition, he like has to stand by the payphone and telling him mm. not to go there. You know, so he goes there. And he's like, right, this is the this is the big one. This is like my chance to show off. What am I gonna wear? Well. What is, what is Tony Manero going to wear? He's going to crack open the white suit, isn't he? The classic white suit. Um, but then he also, and this is a, a very interesting um, 
fashion choice on Tony Monero's part. Instead of the black shirt, which is the iconic, you know, white suit mm, black shirt. Yes, that's it. He wears a pale sky blue t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Underneath. Um, and then that's it. So he walk and, and he pops the collar all the way up as well. Like it's almost like trying to yeah. it's, it was it was like Stallone going, no, he can't wear the exact same outfit because that's too on the nose. So let's just tweak mm. it slightly. And what do you do? Pop the collar and wear a t-shirt underneath instead of a shirt. He goes to this party and from the weather, from the way it's shot, you can assume it's like wintertime in New York. <laughs> and he's yeah. just wearing this and he looks freezing. He, he yeah. looks like he's freezing them off, and and there's no and he's and he's just like acting like you know he's but he's just going through, goes to this party. I don't know what world Tony is in that he believes that this party is going to be wearing that same level of fashion, mm, this odd, odd combination of like smart and casual. So he goes there and people are wearing suits and ties, like like dinner party, like classic in like they're, they're like maybe a roll neck maybe a jacket over the roll neck or something like that that type of outfit um yeah. and he's standing out like such a sore thumb in his white suit <laughs> <laughs> white suit with pale blue t-shirts underneath um because he knows what type of friends she has as well like yeah there's the one scene where he, he waits for uh Aaron Park because he's really into this girl and she's just she brushes him off but he waits for her outside of her apartment and the next minute she pulls up and he's glad to see her. And then next minute, you know, a, a guy gets out of the car with her and he's like, oh, so, yeah. you know, she does this all the time. But he's got a white suit. So she knows, like, the social circle and the type of people that crowd around this girl. So he's, it's not like... It's he not does, like he, he doesn't should... need it to say it on the invite. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And 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 I think I think, but then this is the thing that really annoys me on Tony in this scene is that he gets annoyed at her because she's being a hostess. <laughs> yeah, like like actually, yeah. He kind of goes up to her and says hi, and she says hello and introduces him to someone, and then he gets pissed off because she then goes over and starts speaking to another one of her party guests. And he's just like, oh, what, what did you expect to happen, Tony? Like, just because you don't have any chat doesn't mean that, like, she has to be, like, holding your hand throughout this whole evening here. Um, so, yeah. like, yeah, and so he kind of has to pass It is pathetic. Going. And if he, if he is lonely and he, you know, he's like a social loner at this thing, why not whip out that mate, Rico, or whatever it was, the, the mate that he goes, oh, I've got this great guy, Rico, you're going to, you know, when he's doing that door <laughs> yeah, frame yeah, thing, yeah, the, the door talk thing. to him all night. Just talk, yeah, just go like, oh, actually, like I'm just going to come back in, I'm going to get my mate Rico, and like, just, just play that <laughs> yeah, trick. Just stand by, just stand by like the door to a bedroom or whatever, open it or make the door to the kitchen, whatever, stand on one half of the door, and then just speak into the empty space all night. The wealthy elite of New York absolutely love that party trick. That goes down a storm. <laughs> yeah. I just, if you don't want to look alone, just stand in the door frame and just be like, oh, Rico, remember like uh, like high school? I, I just, just have this like fake chat um, and entertain yourself. True, true. Get all all that because she's doing basically what she should be doing but the, the thing is is that with that scene as well it's like it, it kind of almost highlights what life was like when you didn't have a mobile phone to flick through in awkward social situations um because <laughs> yeah, he, he's yeah, just standing true. there not knowing what to do and it's like yeah that must have been actually quite awkward um i was just thinking because then, back he, then you would have had like those 
Would you have those brick phones back then, early 80s? Did, were they even out? I mean, they were. They just sat in the like corner and yeah. <laughs> played with the aerial. <laughs> the big yeah. rubber, the rubber bre- breadstick. <laughs> yeah, try and steal things from the Buffy plate with it. Just get a plate of the hors d'oeuvres and just like eat them as they were. Yeah, um, that mini cheesecake smile. <laughs> just walks past it with his big aerial whoops. Oh, the, the cheese and pineapple poked into an orange. That's definitely going to be my one right there. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> just a big kebab skewer on his brick foam. <laughs> Oh god, that party must was that party is so lame as well. Like there's nothing going on in that party. And he takes yeah, her out. Yeah, it's just yeah. He takes her out um, to the uh, to the balcony, which also like this is the middle of winter. Why are you going mm-hmm. out to the balcony? Um and then he's like screw this, I'm going to go to Jackie because nothing's happening here. This party's dead. And that's mm-hmm. when Jackie is like I've I've had enough. You've hurt me too many times. Or not yeah. that you've hurt me too many times, but one of these days I'm going to tell you you've hurt me too many times um with that <laughs> and this this is where he takes yeah, i think after he, again he's been kb'd by two women now who's been playing off each other he's been what by two women kb'd knocked back oh I've, I've literally never heard that there we go that's uh <laughs> there we go that's it's like uh what did i say the other day uh keck keck you were talking the other day about uh, the, the crumbs of the country. Keck. Keck, no, yeah. When you, we when it, you whip someone's... I've uh, heard of it that before. Yeah, we yeah. called it Raw in my... When, when I was growing, people called it Raw, being Raw in high school. So, yeah. Anyway, so he's been K- um, K-Bead. Yeah, there's one for you. K-Bead. Yeah, K-Bead. And this is where, like we were talking in our cliché chat, you get the, the obligatory nod to the first mm. film. And this is... So he's, he's been K-Bead, and he takes that lonely... Again, soundtracked by the Bee Gees, lonely walk through, he winds his way across like the Brooklyn Bridge or wherever he's from, I don't know, in New York, in the rain and he's got his collar up and the Bee Gees are playing and he winds his way back home to his like sort of fairly uh, like average Joe, like working yeah. class background where he comes from. And that's where he has uh, like a nice. To be honest, I, I I think this is the best scene in the film. Not only because it harks back to the first one fairly well, but because it just feels honest. The rest mm. of the film feels like hyped and pumped up. This just feels honest. Where he has that chat with his mum, and she yeah. plays the scene really well. And she's just like a an average mum, sort of worried about her son. Um, you know, what's he up to? Maybe there's an implication there that he doesn't keep in touch as much as he should. But there is one thing that annoys me about this. Uh, at one point, and again, this is petty, mm. but I, I, I did pick up on this. So they're having tea, I'm guessing tea or coffee, the next morning, the night after he's taken this big long trek through, lonely trek through New York, and they're eating, and she goes, why don't you have another piece of pie? I made it specially for you. <laughs> You didn't. <laughs> because either, well, either he phoned ahead. Because he, he takes, she, she, yeah, she, yeah. With his, his job. <laughs> with his kebab phone, which we know he didn't have. Um, so you didn't know because it's a surprise visit. It's an um, unexpected trip home. And he arrives, you know, early hours of the night. So either you made it fresh that morning, which I doubt, or you've it's been you've parked in the fridge, or, or not even homemade. So oh. she doesn't 
to say that. It shocked both. But she said, the way she said, I made this specially for you. And then eventually there's like this banter about the pie. And I just remember thinking, there's no way you've made that. <laughs> well, I know. What I love is that you're getting offended that she might have shot bought a pie. Like, <laughs> the car. Well, she plays this classic, like, Italian mum, the big feeder type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she's probably the type who does her own meatballs and all of that. Um, but clearly not with the with the lemon pie. With the lemon pie, I no see small I, thing, but it's it's silly. No, see, I'm gonna go backtrack a tiny bit on this thing because there's a few things that we haven't examined. I think the first is the fact that he walks from <laughs> Manhattan, I'm guessing, to mm. Brooklyn. Now, I've I've yeah. I've never been to New York, but I've seen it on a map. And Me neither. That ain't a short walk. That is uh, <laughs> that is <laughs> in the dead of winter as well, uh, wearing only his white suit. Uh, walking from Manhattan to New yeah. York, I just don't imagine to be a pleasant thing. I don't imagine it taking you like I think you'd get there. I, I think you'd get there as the sun was rising. I don't think you because it's not like this dinner party is like yeah six yeah. o'clock in the evening. This is like late as well. But that aside, and Jackie probably has like the last slot. Oh God, Jackie's got bar, the last. She's slot. not Wait, prime's time. No, everyone, think. everyone's trashed by the time that comes. Like, <laughs> yeah. and then they just. They just need some like lull music just to kind of get them out the bar. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so she, so she's on it like definitely not before twelve, um, and she does a pool table dinner jazz set, and then yeah, I'm I'm saying I mean, I mean walking through any city centre takes ages. Yeah, but the, something on the scale and the like the epicness of New York that's gonna take hours. Yeah. Yeah, and then crossing the Brooklyn Bridge as well. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's not that's not a quick walk. But that's the first point, which I find mental. Mm. Second point is like the, the as you said, the heart back to the previous movie goes back to his hometown. There's the camera lingers on the like 2001 Odyssey Club. That was where the the events um, of the first does, took place. It does yeah. Yeah. I found this out. It's not really clear in the movie, but for some reason, the Wikipedia page of the movie makes it abundantly clear that this is the case, that the uh, club has been converted into a gay bar. So I, I don't know why Stal <laughs> I don't know why Stallone or whoever is on Wikipedia felt the need to make that distinction. Um, <laughs> There's no way you could tell that. From the film. I mean, maybe if you paused it, maybe because it's closed. Up. He walks yeah. past it. It's closed. Well, that's it's another like point. A queue. Yeah, he's he's so he must be he must be at his own hometown. No, no, no earlier than say five in the morning at that point. Mm. And then he just goes into the house and opens the door, and his mum's not like freaking the hell out because someone's coming in the house at five in the morning. Like that's too busy doing shortbread pastry. <laughs> She's just constantly baking, isn't she? She's just like, that's all Lying she does. Bitch. <laughs> Ma, where's my pie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Tony Manero knows he's got his mum's like itinerary. He knows that 5 a.m. is uh, is, is, the, is, the, is the needing time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so... I then... like that detail. I love the fact that someone has found that or maybe it was in like the movie press release or to, I, I just love the fact that someone's found the house because there's no way it's closed yeah. so there's no way you could know that yeah so it's, it's 2001 as well i mean i don't know but it, it that's not like a a hidden sort of underground gay club reference is it that's just 
no, no. So that's what 2001 Odyssey was the club it was called in the first movie. Oh, um, you mean and it's changed? I can't. Well, this is this is what I find mental. I've just got the Wikipedia page up because I want I wanted to read it, yeah. read it because this is not how it's portrayed in the film. Anyone who cares to watch the film and read the Wikipedia page, it goes. It's only when Tony walks past the 2001 Odyssey he sees that the discotheque, which was the, his hangout six years earlier, is now a gay nightclub, which makes him take stock of how much his life has che- changed since he left. Brooklyn that did not happen he didn't like stop <laughs> and look at the club and go oh it's a gay nightclub now god look how much time has passed like that literally does not happen in the movie <laughs> film bit. Doesn't, he, he really like doesn't. He, he, he go he walks past it the camera lings on it for like two seconds more like a nod like oh that's the club from the first movie yeah and then the scene moved on it's nothing more mm. than that. um anyway anyway he has this conversation with his mum and his mum kind of puts him back on track and he, he kind of goes back and and tries to reconcile a relationship with Jackie. She's like, I just want to be friends with you. And he doesn't want that, but he accepts it. Mm. Meanwhile, production for Satan's Alley is, is, is getting, getting underway. The, the main dancer who's dancing with Laura um, is basically like not performing. The, the kind of production, the kind of director is really demanding of him. And mm. he needs like a heat, he needs the fire from the dancer and the dancer gets really miffed. And so, um, and so, like, kind of walks off step and goes, "I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore." And so, Tony with uh, Jackie helping him, he kind of runs through the routine or, or the routine that, like, the, the 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 original actor was struggling with, and and kind of works with Jackie in this very overly long, slow, um, soft fades into other scenes montage of them practicing and doing so many leaps in this movie getting very very sweaty yeah. again um and then he goes and and he he run he tries out for this um for the for the kind of leading man role of the play um laura is really annoyed at him for this they've kind of grown apart during the like 20 minutes or not even that like 10 minutes of the movie and um he like tries to lift her fails and um like kind of like storms off because he thinks like he feels embarrassed he feels like his pride is 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 wounded the director comes out and has this really like harsh talk with him but it sounds like a talk you see in an action movie when the hero is about to walk away from like fighting the main villain rather than a movie about a dance production in in new york when he's like you've got the heat you got the fire hot shot and i need that in there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is such. Yeah, at one point, doesn't he say something like, uh, "This is my rules. It's not a democracy." Yeah, yeah, it's it's okay, like it, it, it's like I think he got the script of the of the the bullshit general from every action movie ever that just like <laughs> like accidentally in the mail, and he's just like rolling with it as the play's going on. Um, but like t- Tony is like inspired by the words of the director and and goes back, performs it amazingly. And then in a classic 80s way, I think this is like the third or fourth montage in this movie, is like him, them getting ready for production and them getting mm. ready to like, to put, put it all together um, with another jazzy musical interlude. Oh, actually, can I, this is actually really important, this. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember whether I've told you this or I've written it down somewhere. You know who's got a cameo in this? 
Stallone in this scene as well. No, no, uh, no he has got a, Stallone's got like a Hitchcock style cameo mm. right at the. Someone, another icon of ours, is is genuinely in this scene. Oh, it's not Nicolas Cage. No, who's who's our other sort of favourite actor Kurt dancer? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well-known dancer. Kurt <laughs> that was that was well timed. <laughs> of course, of course. Kurt Russell. Oh, he was great in Swan Lake. I mean, he just made that. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? Who is it? The Swayze? No, Patrick Swayze is in this. Yes. Oh my and God. Not even, not even, well, as I say, I mean, it's, it's an absolute fraction of a second, but he's not just like in the, um, like sort of high up shots where you can see all the dancers. There's the genuinely uh, a scene where the camera flashes to Swayze's face and he's part of the, it's, it's right towards uh, he, he may have been in it from the start, but there's a genuine bit where it flashes on his face towards like around this portion of the film where they're just getting ready to to do the production. Uh, that's to mental. do like the debut thing. Swayze's in it. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you reckon he's meant to be Dalton? Like, do you reckon this was Dalton's <laughs> life post Roadhouse? <laughs> Pre Roadhouse. This this Pre-Roadhouse. is his sort of. Oh yeah, because he's in New York studying philosophy. Yeah, yeah. This is how he paid his way through college. This is uh, this is Dalton's backstory. This is how he pays through his course in, you know, continental metaphysics. <laughs> yeah, this is, of course, that this is Dalton's before he became a cooler, obviously. Uh, before before the, the cooling life called to him. Uh, yeah, but he, he is in it. That's brilliant. That is fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. I can't, I need to watch I, I, I've now. completely forgot. Yeah, I, 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 have to, I, I don't think I wrote it down, but that fact I've, I've saved. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm rewatching this again after 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 recording now. Just I guess the production night is when it all comes together. Satan's Alley is up in lights on uh, on you know Broadway. Uh, the seats are rammed um, very adorably. You've got you know Tony's mum like bustling in, going, "Oh, that's my son up there. My son's in the lead role and and all that kind of yeah. stuff." Yeah, um, the sign of the cross. Yeah, she does the sign of the cross because it's yeah. Satan, um, and she does take that yeah. stuff very seriously. Um, one of my favourite little conversation pieces in this is just before production, the director comes in and says like, oh, are, are you are you ready? You're getting dressed. And he's like, oh, yeah, I need to just get dressed. Or he says something about like getting changed. And he literally is just wearing like torn trousers and a torn shirt. There is no need <laughs> for him to get dressed in this movie. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he um, he is he kind of gets ready for this whole thing. Jackie comes in. He's got like a that he's on the verge of recovering his relationship with Jackie. It's not quite there, but they're, they're close and they're, you know, you know, he's, he's very close to, to fixing it and making it right. And um, so the production starts and this has got to be one of the weirdest things, this production. Mm. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but the, the first thing that comes to mind is it's all very small actions on stage. Like, unless you are literally standing next to the scene as it's happening. Like, if someone's, like, right in, like, so, like, row Z in, like, mm-hmm. you know, the upper in the gods or something, 
they're not seeing any of this take place. They're just seeing yeah, smoke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And but you've got like Tony doing his dance moves, and I think they do like I think there's like three acts or something. And Jackie is like you know one of the backing singers, backing dance singers. She definitely shouldn't be a backing singer. Um, <laughs> backing dancers. She is a leading lady. <laughs> <laughs> so Jackie is like the backing dancer in one of the in one of the things, and then Laura comes in as this like temptress devil figure. He does this like dance with her again. This is like an entire play that's modern dance, which has seems to be book sold out fully within this thing. Anyway, like he does this like whole dance sequence with her, kind of ends it with like her and him very close, and he ends up kissing her, and she scratches him on the face, and then the lights go out. This is a scene that's never really explained. He like walks off stage. Jackie is like. Like and and he and he's and he kind of just walks past her and she's like, oh my god, how's your eye? Not the fact that you've kissed the girl that is stopping us from being together. Not the fact that you kissed her forcefully, where she obviously wasn't interested in kissing you. Like none of that. He's just completely caring about <laughs> Tony. Like Jackie, you get you need to get your priorities straight. This guy is like forcing himself yeah, yeah. on women and needs to be stopped. <laughs> he is. Um. But yeah, and then. And then show so they um it, it's just it's just not addressed that one scene is just not addressed and the director comes down from his like auditorium where he's Ugh. oh and this is actually another point about the director on this scene where he's like telling the guys to turn up the lights and turn up the smoke do this and that so i'm pretty sure they have a script with like the notes yeah next you don't need to be like okay now turn up <laughs> yeah yeah bill i know because you know we, we, this is not the first um, time we're doing this this is completely yeah exactly <laughs> there will have been extensive rehearsals we assume for this what do you mean assume we've seen them we've seen yeah we've seen them in montage format so you know they were good um but yeah you're right he's like micromanaging this <laughs> this stage guy <laughs> You know that stage guy absolutely oh, hates God. hates him as well. Um, but yeah, so like he has this, him. this thing. And then again, this, the director having like a line that shouldn't be in this movie, a line that seems really like randomly placed. He kind of like grabs Tony. He's like, what the hell are you doing, Tony? What? No, he doesn't call him Tony because he calls him Monero. Again, because he, he actually, does. Like, like what the hell are you do- doing, Monero? It's like you're fighting your own personal war out there. <laughs> again he's clearly got the wrong pages that day hasn't he and it's just like it's like i think i think he got like stallone's working script of the expendables like accidentally <laughs> mailed to him um, yeah in this thing and uh there's there's a scene where like um laura before they go on stage is just like you never were that good an actor act uh, the dancer and like he's He's like that. Oh yeah. She says, um, "Oh, this was really catty." This. She says, uh, "Tony, just just one more thing." <laughs> Your you <voice>. don't... <laughs> Your ja... <laughs> Tony, <laughs> just one more thing. You don't have it. Oh, <laughs> that's that is a kick to the nuts. That. Your, your accent of hers is spot on. <laughs> so he's like dancing with her and stuff. And there's meant to be this big sequence at the end. And he's like spinning her around. And he ends up 
spinning her off stage, like spinning her <laughs> into the corner of the stage and doing this really long solo. And everyone's freaking out because they're just like, this isn't in the script. And Tony's just doing this one solo on this podium that's slowly being lifted up, 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 up yeah. into the air. And like, at first, like the director's like, what the hell is he doing? Like he's completely gone off stage. Like Tony, what the hell has he done? We're and then, five men down, and we've already <laughs> lost the Rhineland. <laughs> Whoops, sorry. No, what film? No, what film? No, what film? Oh yeah, um, Tony. That wasn't in the script. <laughs> and um, but then he does that thing that a, a, a lot of people do in these movies, where like the cat is like it's like the guy who breaks his script in in the newsroom or something, and then like the the production guy goes, no, no, no let him speak and it's like let him yeah yeah, 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 yeah let him yeah, speak yeah. let him Very continue good. and Very it was good. like this it's like this thing he's like no, no, it's like what should we do should we cut the lights and he's like no focus on him and then obviously he comes into his own because now his micromanaging pays off because this wasn't in the script mm. so now he's telling the guys to like up the lights and do all this and do all that and tony's like doing all these dancing but just spinning around on the spot mostly um in this scene the podium is now a good probably 10 feet in the air and he starts like, and he, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he stops, he stops, reaches out for Laura, who's on the, on the stage floors at this point. And he's like, come on, grab my hand, come on. And at the climax of this show, as if like, get to the chopper, as if again, like, as if, as if like the predator is after her. He's like, he's like screaming at her to grab his hand. And then Jackie joins in as well. Like Jackie is like, Grab his hand, do it, jump, and then like the director from his mm. little podium is like, it comes this really intense thing, and she does this like spectacular leap, apparently ten feet into the air, which I don't even think is possible. Impossible. Onto the podium, um, and then from then he uh, while in midair, then Tony like lifts her up with one oh, hand, one hand, with yeah. one hand, and then there's this like big shock of lights, and then everyone like loses loses their shit in the audience. They just go mm. mental and start cheering as if it's the best thing they've ever seen. So we've powered through our favourite of the worst sequels ever made, and hope that you'll go away and try and track it down. Uh, it's definitely on Prime, so it's it's worth a watch. But it's time for our final bit, our casting couch. <laughs> Appro appropriately so, actually, Appropri I've said it like that. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, so all the way through this chart, we've been secretly scribbling, and we don't confer either, some notes about what could go into the creation of Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Billy's Revenge. Mm -hmm. Um so by now we should have a fairly decent working script. And Max, what, what's what have how have you in what direction have you taken this? Because so I, I think this is going to be uh, one of those types of movies, a bit like the the new Halloween movie, where it's like trying to be a continuation but also be, being a reboot at the same time, and uh, in a very continuation of something like one of the more uh, one of the like the sequels to Friday the Thirteenth. Like they kind of do away with the trying to be realistic of a slasher of, of it being just a normal person. And it's now goes into the realm of supernatural elements of it. Um, so I'm going to cast as one of my uh, leading actors. It's going to be a uh, early 2000s one. Uh, I'm going to cast as, as the okay. leading actor who um, I think we should call him. Uh, I think I don't know what his name will be, but something equally like quite 
quite generic like Billy or, or Johnny maybe or something like that. Um, I'm gonna have Toby Maguire as the name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but not like Maguire as he is in um, as he is in Spider Man. I want him as dorky as possible in this. Um, I want like the big like like really like wimpy, wearing like some kind of waffle knit jumper, um, <laughs> or, like a Pringle jumper. Actually, yeah, I can imagine him wearing a Pringle jumper. In this <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I'm going to. I think so. So the general idea is that it's years after the events of the first two movies, um, which is is going to be recounted because that's what Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 did. Uh, we're going to have a recount of Silent Night, Deadly Night oh, Part 1 and Part 2. I think there's definitely... Yeah, yeah. I the, think uh, the end credits for this are going to be huge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think we're going to have a rehash of the first and second movie, you know, pretty solidly um, interspersed about this. It's going to follow the character of Tobey Maguire as he discovers that he was the... Uh, the kind of like illegitimate son of the guy who was the Santa in oh. the opening, the Santa that killed uh, Billy and Ralph's parents in mm. the movie. So like, he doesn't realize this, like he doesn't know who his dad is, like maybe he's grown up in an orphanage, probably like, you know, that would be quite a cool thing of like growing up in an orphanage, facing the similar type of things, even though he is essentially the offspring of the, of the reason why Billy and Ralph nice. were in the orphanage. Would you dare to set it in maybe the same orphanage? Maybe. And they just don't know it? Because obviously they, they don't know, like... Maybe, but I think there's going to be some time difference here. I'm reckoning, like, you know, all the... Like, when he's... Oh, of course. Yeah. Course, yeah. He's already going to be born, like, way after the events of the second movie. Um, okay. But, like, it's kind of harking back and it's trying to tell. Um, I'm going to have the head. It's going to be a nun. Um, I'm, I, I feel like uh, she's going to be in it. I don't know why this name popped into my head, but I feel like she'll be in it. Um, she'll be as, like, maybe the mother superior, um, Stormy Daniels is going to be the mother superior. <laughs> so this is, yeah, so this is, that's a good choice. So this is uh, pre-Trump scandal. Pre-Trump. She's trying Tommy to move Daniels. away from, yeah, she's trying Trump to, porn. Yeah, yeah, trying to move away from the adult film industry. Um, breaking, and I think actually this is a weird thing that we didn't cover off really in our horror movie episode, is that a lot of adult film stars break into to regular cinema through horror movies um true. so that's that's what stormy daniels is doing um and i'd say that like as a he kind of has a relatively okay kind of upbringing in the, the orphanage but then he starts to get um haunted by like the spirit of billy um as, as kind of like a, a you know punishment if you will for the for the fact that his father killed his parents and caused Billy and Ralph to become so uh, mental, if you will. So the spirit of Billy, um, I'm, it, I mean, it's very early days on this, could be wrong. I'm thinking the spirit of Billy is going to be Marilyn Manson. Oh, okay, yeah, I like that. And, um, and kind of like having like him kind of like looking quite ghostly in it. Um, and then I... I <laughs> Sonia from EastEnders uh, is going to be uh, Tobey Maguire's. <laughs> <laughs> She's well. I don't know who you're going to get to dub her face because. 
No, she she was made for the role. She's no lover. She was made for the role. And I'm not I'm not having a go. <laughs> yeah, I think you are having a go. He's maybe kind of like getting like because I think he's going to be a real family guy. I think he's going to have like you know two point five kids type thing with like you know you're going to have like really like overly like cheery background like the last guy you expect to like lose it you know rather and, and within this and and but then he starts to go mental because he keeps on seeing Mar- Marilyn Manson everywhere and then um we need someone to play Ralph as well so think mm. on that who's going to be playing Ralph if M- Marilyn Manson is Billy who's going to be playing Ralph um but anyway so there's that like so so he's kind of going and, and because he's such a family guy and town guy he's like invited to be Santa in the town parade um so he's got like he's on one of those floats um and at this point by the time he gets on the float he goes men that's when he's like really unhinged and so in my mind that's when he's um he's going to be mm. uh getting the he'll he'll turn the float into a weapon and he'll go after everyone in this oh, like, like carnage and the float is like santa's yeah, sleigh yeah. And he's in Santa, and it's like Santa Slay, and he's kind of like riding it, and it's it's kind of causing the havoc on, on things. So he'll be like carving, like it was almost like the parade route, which goes past yeah, the yeah. nunnery. I'm guessing that's where it will um will we'll carve yes. out this this element. Last stop. At the last stop at the nunnery. Um, yeah. yeah, and so it'll it'll carve this route of destruction and um and like carnage throughout it. Um, and he'll be like he'll be driving. Is he? Oh, you're going full on just like mad public massacre where he's just shooting everyone or, or how I think I maybe oh I wonder if there's like a maybe on the you know because these parades at the things like this tend to go very slow mm-hmm. so there's almost enough time for like people to get on and off if you know yeah. what I mean maybe it's like a traveling grotto yes so like he can invite people in mm-hmm. It could be a great scene where he gives like a little, uh, like a you know, sit on Santa's lap. What do you want for Christmas? Um, and then they'll say something like, "Oh, there's got to be like a, a cheesy dialogue there where they ask for something, and then he says, well, you'll get everything you ask for.' And then he like stabs them, or like a, you know, a, a woman could come on and like, a, "Oh, I'm after like a new sort of Russell Hobbs knife set or something like that." There you go. Goes, here it is <laughs> and like you know you know like this sort of like cheesy like horror yeah. sort of one yeah. liner and so maybe he's bumping them off in technically in public yeah i got it within secret yeah. rather than it and i think like one of the kids wants like oh i want a new soccer ball here you go it's your dad's head and just like gives him that like that um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's already killed to death yeah the dad off before yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's working and then um but then maybe he kind of gets found out we're gonna have like probably like the heroes of it as well like the people who are trying to track him down so you've got stormy daniels so she's like getting suspicious and stuff but at this point she's like you know what i i don't trust toby Maguire. i'm gonna lock myself in the nunnery and wait for him okay but then meanwhile, you're mm-hmm. going to have like a police detective who's starting to investigate these murders increasing. And then he's like, no, the murderer is Toby Maguire. Um, and so I feel like you want to get someone. Yeah, may- maybe people in like, you know, the audience of the, the big parade this Christmas Eve are like complaining. Maybe there's like police officers. Maybe you do the thing that like often happens with movies, like the policeman who gets called to the scene or the, the, the guy, the policeman who gets called out is always like some sort of junior, you know, like T-boy policeman type thing. He's never like a top dog. 
Uh, he's always usually a bit uh, incompetent, rough around the edges. So maybe he's just like a a guard on duty. You yeah. know what I mean? Like someone who's keeping the public in check. I've got the person and for people this. Keep, Sean Astin. People keep on coming up to him. Sean, Sean Astin. Astin. Is that the guy? Uh, is that the guy? Uh, Samwise Gamgee. It's Samwise Gamgee, and he's the guy in uh, the Goonies. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, he's perfect guy. And um, and he's in Stranger uh, Things what's it now. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. He's a sort of yeah, sort of like. Uh, oh, he would have been younger back then. Okay. I don't know. He would have been yeah, so, he would have been but, okay level, I reckon. But yeah, sort of like slightly portly, slightly mm-hmm. goofy cop who's there to to keep the public peace yeah. on this parade. But every now and then, people get my daughter's gone missing. Uh, my dad's lost his head. That that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> my, dad, and, my dad's head just fell off. Oh my god, what's happening? <laughs> it, it, it's literally no, no. It just disappeared. <laughs> like you can see. Look, look over the thing. You could. My dad's just there. <laughs> see, he's got the polar neck on, but but absolutely nothing above. That. <laughs> it literally disappeared. There'll be a scene of Sean Astin like try, like noticing the float and trying to get through, but the crowd is so big, like absolutely, oh, and he's like, yeah. "No, stop the float, stop the float." Brilliant. No one's hearing him. Yeah, completely. Yeah, so it eventually clicks on. He's 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 sus something so, but yeah, through through the big public merriment side of it, he's blocked. Yeah, perfect. That always happens. There's always the one in the know who, due to public ignorance, is stopped from. Yeah. And I've got this, okay. And so then he starts to realise, like, Tobey Maguire starts to realise that the police are closing in. He doesn't know what to do. So he's got an escape plan because he still wants to get Stormy Stormy Daniels and and Killer. So what he does, he has his escape plan. So he's got this grotto, this floating, like, this float that's a grotto that he's been handing out, like, sadistic gifts to. And then he's also got a... uh, he's, He's got a sleigh. And he's he's kept a few people prisoner. Uh, he's kept like nine people prisoner so that he can. Okay. Um, so he uses them as the reindeer on the sleigh, um, and kind of is like <laughs> pushing them forward. Yeah. And he's like he's like doing that whole line of like come Dasha, come come Prancer, and and like <laughs> and then you've got these people like running, and he's like and he's like and pulling away this sled. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like as this. Sean Aston is trying to uh, as, as Sean Aston is trying to chase um, chase Tobey Maguire to the to the nunnery. That's brilliant. So yeah, that's that's a set, and yeah, you can have loads of sort of like little secretive, discreet uh, slasher killings, so you can satisfy the audience in that respect. Yeah. Um, you've got yeah, you can have these creepy flashbacks, Marilyn Manson. Oh, did we decide who was going to play Billy? <laughs> Um, I've got it. It's a Christmas thing. I've got it. Okay. It's a Christmas theme. It's not Gregory Peck. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's um, it's Shaken Stevens. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. I was going to go for Brandon Lee, but then remembered he because he was the crow. Yeah, he was the crow. He was uh, crow. I thought he'd be if that, like, 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 so him and Manson could have, like, this shared sort of imagery. To, but yeah, he died on yeah. set, so useless. I'm actually also going to say that um, we're going to, like, change up. I think we should change Sonia from EastEnders as his wife. I actually think it should be someone like, I don't know, um, Mariah. Would Mariah Carey mm. do this role? Ooh, she's a big star. Would she be in 
Silent Night, Deadly Night, Deadly Night Three. Maybe, maybe if the, if maybe all the, we blow the budget on her and do everything low budget on that. That's why we have we have human people. Uh, yeah, we have human people drive driving the sleigh rather than reindeers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put put Mariah. She's, Mariah she's is Toby Maguire's wife. How Toby Maguire gets a wife? That's Mariah Carey. <laughs> <laughs> Early two thousands, Mariah Carey as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, okay. So yeah, so he's got he's got like uh, you know Shaken Stevens as the uh, as the ghost of Ralph as well. Uh, Shaken Stevens better do a bloody good garbage day oh, impersonation yeah. as well. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So he gets to the, he, so my thinking is he gets to this nunnery and that's when that's when things turn into a bit of a confrontation. So like Sean Aston is far behind because he couldn't keep up with the. Uh, the sleigh um, that was that was careering through careening through mm. town, um, and I'm thinking he's on the sleigh like Tony McGuire's on the sleigh with like a shotgun, just randomly shooting people as he's going down. Yeah, um, and uh, he, like making Santa-based puns as he's as he's going down, uh, and then he kind of comes comes face to face with uh, like the Mother Superior Stormy Daniels, um, and she's kind of locked down the nunnery. And is like having this kind of confrontation with him. It gets quite tense because they're like the nunnery's empty. Like she's she's like you know gotten all the nuns out, gotten all the orphans out, and so it's just her and and um, Tobey Maguire using it as their playground to try and get through and, and get one another. They have this like final chase mm. about the nunnery. Maybe she loses clothes as this happens. <laughs> this isn't Showgirls, Ash. She's, uh, <laughs> she. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, that's a good reminder. Actually, at some point, I would like the, well, not even just the actor. I would like to literally transplant the character of Tony Moss, who's the uh, the producer of the Showgirls show, into another one of my films. I haven't worked out what role he's playing, but, but no, we'll, we'll do that. But no, he's going to be in it. He's going to, he's going to be in it. I like him a yeah. lot. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so maybe the habit catches on like a door handle yeah. or um, something. She, she, the items of clothing get ripped yeah. off as this chase around the nunnery happens. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that's great. And then maybe she's, um, but maybe she's got like guns hidden throughout the entire like mm. the, the nunnery. It's like, you know. In a Bible. In a Bible. Oh, yeah. And she, it's just like she has two little magnums in a Bible and she's just like. You know, yeah. like John John Woo style. I'm thinking like there's going to be some uh, <laughs> yeah. there's going to be some like doves flying in the nunnery, um, <laughs> and and Toby Maguire, and then like Toby Maguire at this point is also then seeing like he's got Ralph and he's got like the he's got Ralph and he's got Shaken Still Stevens. He's got Shaken Stevens and Marilyn Manson like goading him to try and kill the Mother Superior, um, and like by this point he's completely lost it. Uh, Mariah Carey comes in trying to confront her. I think he has to kill Mariah as well, like as a kind of final show that he's like completely. Oh, do you reckon we have one of those um, sort of like horror confusion moments where he's waiting for the Mother Superior to come through a door? He's convinced that it's going to be her, but then Mariah walks in and he shoots her by. You know, one of those oh, like yeah. someone makes a mistake in entrance, so we could have like a death. Like yeah, that. that makes sense. That makes sense. Maybe like maybe Mariah Carey is working with Sean Aston to uh, to track down to track down Tobey Maguire's character, and mm. then so they're working together, and she's like, "Well, yeah, he's yeah. always said the nunnery was somewhere that he wanted to go to, or something." And then they they end up they end up like <laughs> yeah. kind of hightailing it to the nunnery, um, but it's too late at that point. Um, 
like the confrontation between Tobey Maguire and Stormy, Stormy Daniels has happened. Um, I'm going to say like it's going to, I feel like Tobey Maguire needs to fall from somewhere. That's his like death. It's like maybe he's at the top of some stairs mm. or in the top of like yeah. a tower, the bell tower or something. Yeah, um, bell tower will do. And like Stormy Daniels at this point is like, like disabled, like she's lost it. Maybe he shot her in the arm or something and she's like, you know, on, on the ground, hasn't got any weapons left. And so he's just about to confront her. Um, and she can maybe, I don't know. I think maybe she kind of push, pushes over to like rolls around. Oh, I got it. The bell is going back and forth because it's Christmas Eve and it's like the, like ringing in the new Christmas. The bell is yes. going back and forth. And then she like rolls out of the way at the last minute and the bell knocks Toby Maguire off, off the bell tower, all the way down. It lands in, lands in the, uh, like on a spike at the, uh, you know, one of those, one <laughs> yeah. of those church spikes that they have. Um, and then, yeah. Lands through a spike right by Billy and Ralph's grave. Oh, oh, in the cemetery. That's it. That's it. And that's the story. And that's a wrap. Till part six, Dawn of the Cameos. <laughs> We're actually taking a look at documentaries next week. Yeah. So back to our like full blooded classic genres. Uh, we've taken a, a deviation this week, but we'll back to that next. Um, before we go, remember I said I, I had an interesting-ish story about sequels that I found this I'm ready. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, this is this this is pure. Found it purely by chance. Mm-hmm. Wasn't like uh, searching for it. it. Was the long story short the because uh, we're in lockdown and all the theatres and stuff are closed. National Gallery. Uh, I got not not National Gallery, National Theatre. Yeah. Uh, putting old uh, like live film plays on YouTube, mm-hmm. and they're doing one a week. So this week it was um, the Madness of George the Third okay. by Alan Bennett, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was good. It was like hearted stuff, but it, it was good. And anyway, I was reading about googling it afterwards, and there's a movie version of the play made a few years later called The Madness of King George, and they said that there's the little subtle switch of the title there and I was reading an article about it anyway and it said that the reason why there was the name change from George III to King George was that the big wigs or like American producers who worked on the film got wind of it that that was the original play title and thought genuinely thought that American people would think it was the third in a film series that is brilliant I can't believe so rather than being like oh yeah like the King George III they thought, oh shit, I haven't seen the madness of George one and two yet. I mean, so it was it was changed to. Ev- King George. Everyone says the madness of King George part one is the uh, is is the best. <laughs> I personally think King George part two is is where it's like the pinnacle of the of the franchise win. Yeah, so I like the fact that that's yeah that's what we've got that's, to do. To I love that. I love that. Catch the American audience. So, um, but yeah, there's a final story about sequels. Like I say, next week we're hitting up documentaries and Max might be able to give us a few hints of what's come up. Yeah, so um, in, in our kind of quest of looking at the movies that you may not always know and, and looking at films that uh, might have otherwise uh, gone under the radar, we're going uh, all the way up to Nova Scotia um, in <laughs> and looking at yeah. One Man's Dream uh, to, to change the face of Canadian cinema. 
Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who is prepared to, to wait another couple of weeks for the next episode, but I would say that it's on it's on Amazon. Um, it's got literally everything that you could want from a documentary, and uh, it is perhaps supremely underrated for how hilarious it is. Um, so I look forward to sharing that with you as we go into it uh, next episode. Thank you. And that's it. But before we split, don't forget uh, to keep on listening. Both our back catalogue and all the uh, exciting stuff that we've got coming up too. We hope that this is being received and maybe being enjoyed. Uh, and anyone listening is inspired to build up their own little stack of, of shitty films as well. We're on Castbox, Spotify. Our Twitter is fairly, you know, well maintained. So keep a look out for that. Also as well. on Instagram. And also, also on it. These little sort of clip things on Insta. And yeah, just in the meantime, keep watching. Thanks so much, guys.